Uh, God bless everyone. Welcome back to the Loopcast. Today I'm joined by two uh, very special men. Uh, I'm going to introduce them really quick. Brian, if you want to give a quick pitch to the viewers. Brian Burks, president, co-founder of Catholic Vote, with my co-founder, Josh Mercer. Josh Mercer. That's right. Editor of the Loop and uh, the third most important person on the Loopcast. <laughs> we miss you, Erica. Take me back to the beginning. What was the original vision for Catholic Vote? Why did you guys start it? Uh, the truth is, both of us were working at... Domino's Farms in Ann Arbor. Uh, Tom Monahan, some of the listeners may know, sold Domino's Pizza, takes that money, starts the Ave Maria Foundation, and decides, I'm gonna, as he said, try to get to heaven and take as many people as I can with me. Great vision, uh, you know, jokingly said, I could have bought a yacht, I could have bought multiple yachts. Uh, instead, decides to start all these Catholic ministries. And Josh was working for the entity called the Ave Maria List, which was started by Tom uh, to engage politically. Uh, they spent money that Tom chose to spend in politics. I was working for a group called the Thomas More Law Center, which was, as we called it, the Catholic answer to the ACLU, which is this public interest law firm. We would engage in litigation, represent people pro bono uh, to try to advance you know, various issues. And as a result of some fights with the town of Ann Arbor, Tom decides I'm gonna go build not just a university, not in Ann Arbor, I'm gonna to go to Florida, I'm gonna build a town, uh, Ave Maria, Florida. That was pretty disruptive at the time for all of the people up in Ann Arbor because there was a choice a lot of people had uh, whether to go to Florida or to stay and, or, or to leave. And so we had the question, do we wanna keep doing this? Should we go find another job? And, we came up with this idea, which was let's take legal advocacy, political advocacy, and education, put it all under one roof. At the time, the model that we chose was to build a 501c3 and a 501c4. That's kind of tax lingo for being able to do politics and education inside the same uh, umbrella of entities, which now a lot of people do. And that was, that was pretty revolutionary at the time, though. Yeah, I mean, revolutionary, give well, us too much credit. I mean, the idea was we wanted to do for the church anything the church needed coming from the lady. And before it was you were either an education group, you were a lobbying group, you were a PAC or a, you know elections group. And as a result of a couple Supreme Court cases, chiefly one called Citizens United, it allowed these nonprofit entities like th that we had established to do electoral politics modestly, it can't be your primary purpose, and to do a number of things that we're now doing. And, but to, you know, the, the big story here was we saw an opportunity to be a unique voice for Catholic lay people. Uh, when it comes to politics and legislation lobbying, a lot of people say, oh, well, that's the bishops, the USCCB, or, or they look to single issue organizations, right to life groups, pro-life groups. Marriage um, groups at the marriage, time. Exactly at the time. And we said, no, we're not gonna be a single issue group like everyone else in DC, we're gonna be Catholic, which means we're gonna be an everything issue group, every issue group. Right. Uh, we believe the church's wisdom is relevant and ha should have a seat at the table of every, every, every issue we're having, immigration, wages, economy, the environment. Yeah, and just for people listening that may unfamiliar with the story, so you, you laid out, you set out on this new journey of, you know, Tom on hand, he's off to go educate Tom, the host here at Ave Maria University. Um, and so you guys are kind of made, made, had to make a tough choice. You know, do we continue this, really be scrappy? I mean, I think, didn't you take a job at Home Depot at one point? I mean, it was just real tough to, times yeah, in the yeah, beginning. Yeah. There were these attempts to start a Catholic grassroots network. The, 
I'm not saying this is a foolish idea. It was like, go find someone who's got a lot of money who can give us like a, a bounty of 200, 300 grand, hire a bunch of people, and then work really hard to hopefully get some, this plane off the ground, right? That's what Tom Monahan did too. I applaud him. But the problem is if you get impatient and after two years, you're like, ah, we're done. Turn the lights off. And then you're left with nothing. So we went the opposite way where we're like, we're just dads, you know? <laughs> like, And we're like, let's just... Maybe it'll be a little hand to mouth, but we're just going to work hard to get those ten, twenty, thirty dollar donations and try to, you know, you, with email, we're able to cut through everyone. I know it sounds crazy to think about it now, but this we're talking eighteen years ago with the internet, and we're, we're the first ones to really revolutionize video. Okay, right. I want to talk about that. So one of my favorite early Catholic vote stories is the big gamble, putting it all on black. We're going to make a video, not only a video, a Super Bowl commercial. So take me back to that. Well, How the first that... one, that, that, the, the Super Bowl was the second one. But like, you know, there's a legend, there's an urban legend that Fred Smith, the CEO of FedEx, I don't know if this is true or it's not. It's true. Is it true? It is true. He could make payroll. So he literally takes money and he puts it, goes to he Vegas. He went to Vegas. And he puts it on black or whatever and it hits and he gets the money and he goes and makes payroll. I mean, it's, when you're, when you're upstart businessman, you're like, you got. We didn't go to Vegas, by the way. <laughs> we, <laughs> we did not. We did not. But it was a, a thing where it's like, you know, we're, we're scrappy and we're, we got to try something new. And, you know, I remember I was at a conference with a bunch of uh, Catholic leaders, political leaders were talking about the pol political stuff. And I just said, listen, I just don't think these 35 page voter guides matter anymore. People just, they, we want them to read it, but it's like your vegetables. Like, yeah, I'll read it. I promise. And then they go home and they don't read it. It just collects dust. And so we thought, how can we reach people in a more effective way, in, in a moving way? Like win their hearts. Like Brian was like, well, what does Hollywood do? They, like, for, they do this obviously mostly for ill, but they're they're at least trying to capture your human imagination. They're trying to reach your heart and and, and appeal to you. And so that's why he's like, what if he's like, what if we, instead of a voter guy, we did like a movie trailer where we just got people excited about this is what matters. And I'm like, I, I'm thinking to myself, I would have never thought of this in a hundred years. I'm like. Go for it. And it felt like that Fred Smith. Like, just, you got to try something new. Try, Go for it. And, and at this point, just you two, correct? You two, maybe one other person? Yeah. Maybe. No, it was just us two at no, that point. Was, we didn't have the money even to pay us two. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, <laughs> the truth is there's a little bit more backstory here. We did try to go the traditional route. There was a document called Catholics in the Public Square written by Bishop Tom, uh, uh, Olmsted, Olmsted right. in Arizona. Yeah. Fantastic document. Highly recommend it. Everyone should, should read it. So we thought, wow, we can take this document, which we thought was superior to the bishop's document, which was a document called Faithful Citizenship, which is still principally the document they, they use. Um, we believe that document has some flaws to it, which it does if anyone reads it. And the, this document was much better. By the way, if anyone's listening, the best document the bishops ever wrote on this question, 1998, Living the Gospel of Life. That should be the only document anyone should read when it comes to these things. Either, in any case, all those things are things, as Josh said, no one re reads, or very few people read. Right. The idea of the movie trailer was, let's actually think about how most voters come to the decision about how to vote, and especially swing voters. And we realized, you know, most people probably don't read a 35-page document from the bishops and uh, weigh the intellectual merits of it and then ultimately connect it prudentially to the candidate that we think deserves support and then and vote for them. No, they don't do that. 
we, the church has a huge catechetical problem that's, that's going to take a generation or more to solve. We're certainly not going to solve it in the crucible of an election, right? But all we would ever hear is we just need more from the pulpit. We need the bishops to speak with more clarity. We started jokingly calling that internally the catechism in a bigger font strategy. Right. Like right. that's all we need. Just louder, bigger, all longer. Caps. All caps. Flashing um, maybe. Right, right. <laughs> and and the, the thing was is we knew that that wasn't doing the trick. Um, and so the idea with the movie trailer was let's provoke the imagination. Let's get someone actually just interested in what we have to say. And then the voter guides and other things can follow and some of that's out there. But let's make people, you know, fall in love before they fall in line. Well, and I always think of it like there has to be a better appreciation for the recipient. And I think that's what we've always made a, a big focus at what we do at Catholic Vote. Like, you know, like a lot of other people be like, why won't people read this 35-page document? Why? It explains everything. It's like people are busy. They have busy lives. If you're a mom of six, you're homeschooling kids or whatever, you know, or a guy's working a, as a plumber, he's got he doesn't got time for this. His wife's yelling him to finish the deck. So it's like, you know, what get what you're trying to get at, short and sweet, and then help them, like you say, pull them along, and they might they might start to read more. So yeah. that that's kind of been one of the th- things that I think has kind of guided our work. Try to understand people are busy and that's like you know even with social media people are skimming fast how do you get their attention you know you have to do it in a way that's not you know total gimmick kind of stuff right. and it, there has to be something there there it, if it's just cotton candy then they'll ignore you but yeah. this is the uh, ain't nobody got time for that excuse no but the thing is is we were we were father uh, uh, father i call him father because he was father then bishop robert Barron before he said this and it was this one of the best things that bishop Barron has ever said is he talks about the challenge of evangelization. And he said, you know, there's the three great transcendentals, the true, the good, and the beautiful. And for the most part, our side typically begins with the true and the good. That's not good, that's bad. That's not true, that's false. But they never begin with the beautiful. And he said, I'm convinced more and more that our culture really needs, and the church has so much to offer, of going through the beautiful door. And then we can get to the true and the false and the good and the bad. And that one of the things that video does, and certainly if you watch the video we did, that was one of the emphasis. We wanted people to see something so beautiful and transformative, and especially it was the music. It was yeah. the music, too. It was that That's what good art does. For, it for transforms those who, you. For those who haven't seen the video, can you describe what it was? It was a three-minute, uh, of course, this was 2005, uh, 2008, and so there's... Uh, it wasn't exactly to today's standards. Uh, it was, I think it holds up. It was I, exceptional. You still watch it. A huge, um, epic uh, music track together with text and moving images. So it was it described essentially what Voter Guides described and talked about all these issues that were important. Um, but the, there was these core issues that life, life, marriage, and family, and it crescendoed into um to you know, voting for life with this mother, with this child on her shoulder, with this you know, really. Well, it was also not like typical. I mean, like there's pictures of like you know NFL players praying on the field. It wasn't just like a typical. We used John F. Kennedy in the ad. Right? I know, I know. What conservative Catholic group used the picture of John F. Kennedy? Or we used, by the way, um, the former president Hesburgh, of Notre Dame, right, uh, Theodore Hesburgh, Father Hesburgh, uh, the famous shot of him locking arms with MLK. 
this was not something a so-called Republican-aligned organization would do. But we said, look, this was something part of our story. important that Catholics did. It was also a reach out to people that might be sympathetic in, uh, as Democrats to that, saying, look, that's connected to the life issue. These are not two separate things. No, that, that brings up something really important I want to talk about, too. So, so obviously that video goes crazy, millions of views. It's up on our YouTube channel, actually, by the way. And... Uh, Deep cut, the, the poster behind me on every loop cast is the poster from that video. It's the mom right. holding the child. Um, but something I want to talk about. So you mentioned you're doing something that is unexpected. And I think people that when they see Catholic Vote content or they see something we're a part of, it's a little bit provocative. When you think about, okay, we want to make an impact here, how does that play into, say, your storytelling style for campaigns? Or do you have a good example of another time? I know we have a couple videos that have gone viral for good or bad reasons, ones that come to mind are not alone. I don't know if you remember that one or. Well, I mean, there, you can think about different campaigns like that video or whatever, but then it's, again, just thinking about, again, all of it has to be in service to the people you're trying to, you know, illuminate, educate, whatever. So like, for example, I think, you know, an advocacy group, you, you always have to be thinking about what's five or 10 years, what does the church need five or 10 years from now? That, that really needs to be a guiding thing in everything you're planning or working on. And so if you would have said in 2005 when we were starting, hey, by the way, what you really need to do is be in not just an advocacy organization, but you need to be like a news organization too. Like you need to write articles, you need to put together a daily email and send it to people. Like that would, we would never thought that would have, we would have thought, well, no, what we really need to do is raise money and help elect candidates. That's really important, <laughs> don't get me wrong. But it's like understanding, like I say, a busy person in their life. What can you do to try to help them along in their journey? Here's some articles on the faith. Here's some articles about the issues that are that are people are talking about at the water cooler where you work. People are talking about trans stuff, education, that kind of stuff. You need to be versed in what's going on. So, yeah, I would say part of it too is uh, this kind of question everything mentality. And Tom, you work here, so you know this didn't stop after we released that video, said, we finally accomplished it. The goal is, hey, I was in a meeting two weeks ago following that Ohio vote, and I led the meeting off by saying, nothing should be um, unquestioned. We lost we So lost just badly. to help the viewers understand, what you're talking about is that the recent defeat Correct. of the Ohio, they try to Issue strengthen one. the Constitution, make it harder to wreck their Constitution. Right, and we, we went into a meeting and said, let's rethink everything. What we're doing isn't working as well as we want it to. There's some things... We decided we need to retain. There's a lot of things we need to change. But I think there's another piece of this is important, and it's come up recently in the context of the Ukraine war. Um, and it was the posture of the, of the uh, American foreign policy for, for many decades, and it was, I forget his name, I think it was George Kennan, who talked about the idea of strategic empathy. And the idea was, in order to decide what the best posture for U.S. policy should be, you had to put yourself in the shoes of your enemy. And you had to think about what motivated them, why they're choosing to do what they're trying to do, and not interpret it only through your lens. Because if you do that, more than likely the decisions you make about what you're going to do are going to be uninformed or not, not quite responsive to what the other side's really thinking. And I think there's a, a lesson in that, not just for Ukraine, by the way, is what is Russia really doing? Um, why are they doing it? But for the task of evangelization itself, why does... Why do people that we're trying to reach have this hostility to the church or um, struggle with church teaching or see us as this, you know, patriarchal, hierarchical or the Ohio thing, problem particularly, thing? Why would it be that some voters who might even 
be inclined to vote our way, still feel, I just can't say no to this girl who wants to have the option to abort their child or whatever. Right. But my point is, this is because it led to, the answer to your question, is really long-winded answer to getting there. Why, how, some of our best videos, I think, began with a conversation about what do our opponents or ideological adversaries, what are they thinking? What are their premises? Why are they... Why do they believe what they do and why do they believe or what are the wrong ideas about what they think we believe? So we had, of course, that video we did called Not Alone, where we had a bunch of people talk about how they struggle to acknowledge this about themselves, that uh, it was they are now going to come forward and tell the world how they really feel. And of course, this was the model of what gay rights groups were doing is calling on people to, quote, come out of the closet and to acknowledge you were gay and we framed that video as a bunch of young people coming forward with this very difficult struggle and then they said I believe in marriage and that was the twist in the video and of course that thing the gay uh, I think Lance ad, Bass you know, picked it up right yeah that's right they, they it was one of the only videos where Hollywood spoofed us right right, right? that's like, what I'm saying Lance Bass the guy yeah the right boy band guy yeah but the idea there was again to say well wait you're expecting us to sympathize and empathize with you you're you know, desire to tell the public that you are same-sex attracted. Um, well, what about us? If, in fact, we're supposed to respect you because of your personal beliefs, what about you respecting our personal beliefs? Empathy is something universal we all should receive, and yet... Yeah, but I think that strategic empathy kind of way of thinking is bigger than us. I think we often, on the right, think because we have the truth... Because we know what's right, our job is now to impose it by any means necessary. That the real challenge is we just need to pound it into people harder and harder. I know as a parent that doesn't work. I'm pretty sure as a church we've discovered that's not quite working either. Certainly the culture is not positioned well for that to work. So I, I think some of our better, most successful videos at least have began with a conversation around that. Yeah, and uh, this brings up another thought, too, and we have him at the table, the father of the loop. Right, so we have a morning newsletter, just crossed 500,000 subscribers. Fun little fact, Josh, you do get 100 grand bars every time you reach a new milestone. You're at 500 grand, grand bars. candy bars. Don't yeah. Yeah, mess, yeah, right. mess anyone's no, 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 no. <laughs> we're not talking bricks. We're talking... Yeah, not uh, gold bricks. Yeah. <laughs> if we're... <laughs> So here's something to think about, right? So, so Brian, you're, you're kind of talking about like taking narratives or, or, or seeing things that are successful but from a different point of view. And so you're basically trying to take success but use it on our side of view, I guess. And so I think you kind of alluded to this. Would in a million years you think that you're going to start a new, news agency? No. But well, you see this opportunity where... Okay. News, all of a sudden, AP style is making people use pronouns to describe things. Like, we can't even get, even from Fox News or whatever, we can't get really honest news anymore. So, what inspired you then to start this daily newsletter, and why do you think it resonates and has been so successful with Catholics? See, like, like, you know, Brian and I both like to think about innovations. Like, how, what, again, what can we be doing differently? How can we help people understand, you know, where the church is going to be? You always should try to have that hunger of an entrepreneur, and sometimes you come up with an idea totally on your own, it, you know, totally out of the box, which is, I think, what the video 2008 is like. No one else was thinking this. Like, what other advocacy groups, like, we need to do a three-minute, you know, video that's a Hollywood trailer thing. So that's awesome. Sometimes, though, it's just, like, thinking about, like, well, wait a minute now. 
there's a lot of successful daily emails. Na you know, National Journal, NBC News was the one that really started it. And it's like, wouldn't it be neat if they had that for Catholics? Why don't we do that? Like, let's just do it, you know? And let's have news that is, like every Catholic we'd want to know what's going on in politics, what, you know, they're, everyone's trying to do in Washington, but also just have like, you know, important news, pro-life, pro-family. And then, you know, news about our church. Yeah, and the thing is, it wasn't like some, you know, amazing, you know, uh, revelation. The loop is, was essentially a response to what people like us wanted. What would we do? We'd wake up in the morning. At the time, you'd read a site called the Drudge Report. Yep. Uh, and other websites too, yeah, right. Right, but that was a primarily one. It was, a, it was an aggregator of news. And then you would click on a different website and, and read you know, the well, readings right. for the day. Then you would read something else. And we started to say, wait, wait, what if we take the best of all these different places? And I know Josh gets this question asked, and I, people would always ask me, hey, what do you read for your news? Where, where do you go? And sometimes people still ask me, now I have an answer. Um, <laughs> but it was always this question of, hey, who do I trust? Who covers religion? Who's covering the church in a way that I think is authentic? Um, and even some of the Catholic news stuff out there at the time, even today, was, was you know, again, along the lines that we were talking about before, you know, taking a different angle and slant when it comes to some of these issues of prudence. And so I think it was a response to what we saw a lot of Catholics wanted. They wanted a quick and easy way to get this combination of politics, uh, uh, new, national news, culture. Um, we have lifestyle content now. Josh probably wasn't looking for a source for new recipes, but... Uh, well, that those are the most clicked on articles in the list, Sometimes. Mm. Well, I mean, part of it is just, you know... Um, the, you know, a good author will say the best book, I wanted to read this book and no one, no one had it. So I wrote it, you know, it's like, that's kind of what we did. We, we wanted this and like, no one's doing it. And it's all in these different places. Let's put it together. And that's a great service to people. Like it takes a lot of time to, to read all these different articles and wait, I've never seen this website before. Do you trust it? So that's why I think people say, thank you. And we, we occasionally make mistakes. We own our lumps yeah. and we move on, you know, but people, so, I think, respect that. I, we got to put this out here for the record. It was almost under a different name. Are you willing to reveal what name it almost was? <laughs> Someone thought the skinny was a good idea. <laughs> well, if some uh, listeners might know there's a daily email called The Skim. It was started just before The Loop was started. That was one of the things we saw. That, wow, look, this, what, this email newsletter at the time had like hundreds of thousands, now it has millions. Right. Two single women talk about cosmetics and the news. Cosmetics, the news, culture, culture yeah. fashion. They were doing what they saw in the marketplace and all these big brands started to pay them yeah. huge advertising dollars. So it was called The Skim, of course. Skim the news, skim. Well, we're trying to figure out, well, what could our Catholic version of our, you know, vision be? And one of the finalists was the skinny. Get the skinny. You know, we're going to give you the skinny, the rundown. And um, I will just say, Josh said, I am not writing for anything called the skinny. Yeah, people watching this are probably, they could be sipping on their skinny mugs, but instead we have the little I'm The just, mugs would so, be very different. I'm, yeah, right. I'm just too fat to be involved with the skinny. But, you know, part of it, at least the word loop is in, you know, it, at least, you know, stay in the loop, but also if you think about it, the rosary is also a loop. So there's like... Oh, I thought like, you were going to bring up Chicago lore. Well, you know, our, office, office, in the our office was in the loop, yeah. Yeah. Not anymore, though, because Chicago's, you know... Uh, yeah, we had to get out of there. Third world um, country at this point. Yeah. So, uh, so Brian, you brought up something kind of interesting that I thought about. So 
I, I see this personally when I consume a lot of Catholic content. It feels very polished. I don't know how to put this. It, it's a little bit, it's not raw. And you brought up the word authenticity, which I actually, knowing you guys now for a little while, I feel like if nothing else, both of you are very authentic in my experience with you. And being authentic is a challenge in some ways because it requires a certain amount of vulnerability. Has it been challenging for you to remain authentic while also pursuing you okay, know, the advocacy and education work? You said the, the things were polished. What are you saying was polished? Well, I don't understand what you're not, saying. Not us. That. I'm saying like I, I see things that are very inauthentic or they feel well, uh, cold or they okay, feel or distant. Authenticity is one thing. Polished, when you say something's polished, you say a lot of things in Catholic sites were too polished. Or when, I, when I see too polished, like maybe too slick's the right word, or like there's there's a distance between me and that organization. So like I don't feel like like for example when I read when we read an email from Brian, like I feel like Brian's talking right now. If it's or, a real or, person, because it's yeah, we really do try to impart what we think, you know. Like yeah, but I agree uh, with Josh. Typically, when you see a lot of Catholic marketing material polish is not the word yeah you're right, right. Not, polish sorry i, I should have well i mean like, we've always clear, tried but. to brian's done a very good job about this like the communications that we do from catholic vote i mean loop is one thing it's i i i like to think of the loop as having that midwestern self-confidence like this is what we think this is what we believe here it is you can like it or not we're not trying to shove it in your face it's just, you know, we're cool cucumbers on it but the, when you're talking about like the emails that were that brian is sending out to our you know list of you know 500,000 people, it it's meant to be you know authentic or intimate. Like I'm just going to lay it out on the line here. I'm not going to BS you. This is what's going on. We didn't do so great here. You know, not just our organization, but everyone. Let's say Ohio or actually, you know, Dodgers. You know what? If we don't step up to the plate, who else is going to do that? We need to do this. You know, it was nice to hear the bishop over here say something. That bishop, but. We got to punch back at these guys. So I think people just liked it. It's like, yes, these the, the people think someone out there is 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 representing me. So we just try to be. I yeah, you say authentic, yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting because you're making me think a little bit about this. We do have some internal rules we've kind of abided by. One of them was in, uh, early on. We used to say, we're not sending an email unless we have something interesting to say. Right. Whereas a lot of people say, well, it's Thursday, so our Thursday email goes out. Well. There were times, I remember not too long ago, where we'd go a week, two weeks, we wouldn't send an email. And we would say, gosh, we need to, we need to communicate with the list again. We need to tell them what we're doing. But we didn't want to just write for the sake of writing. And a lot of this was, again, thinking about our audience and the way we thought about ourselves. Right. What, did, what did we need to hear about? What, did we, what were we thinking and talking about? In fact, we talk about this a lot even. We have a product called Slack. It's a big corporate product which allows teams to communicate. And helps because our team is dispersed. Wow. In yeah, dispersed. 15 states, yeah. 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 But one of the things I always say is take what's happening on Slack and go and take it out. Meaning go put it on Instagram, take it to the loop, took, put it in emails. Because there's all this banter that goes on throughout the day. The loop channels obviously are big. You know, people may not know there's, you know, 10, 25, 30 stories that come in every day that your team works well, through to figure and I, out. But I think what you're getting at is that like this digital water cooler that we have. Serves, serves as a way of uh, people, hey, did you see this, Tom? Hey, check this out. Like, wait a minute. If I think it's important enough to share with you and Brian's sharing it with me or whatever, like, why don't we share with the our people on our list? They're going to want to know this stuff too. Now, I might slag it to you like, oh my gosh, you can't believe this is crazy. I might not say it that exact way. But the whole point is, I, you know, you do, I do have some filters 
thank the good Lord. But you know, the loop unfiltered actually would be would be a very good product. <laughs> All the stuff that doesn't make the cut, but that we still talk about. We've uh, we've definitely talked about doing like a loop cast after dark for sure. And yeah. man, when that comes out, well, that might be the end of us. But but actually, ironically, that you're bringing this up, that was the inspiration for the loop cast. Was Slack conversations was meetings. I mean, seriously, every time we meet with you, it's like I got three stories coming. I'm like, why? Just get a microphone, tell people. I promise it's interesting. And and funny, you mentioned the Midwestern. What, you, what was the phrase you used? Midwestern self confidence. Midwestern. So listen, okay, so Midwestern self confidence. Let me give you a sports analogy on this because people, I love sports. Okay, yeah. So. Uh, my brother went to St. John's University, which is uh, Division Two or whatever. It's a Catholic, supposedly, college in central Minnesota. And they had a coach there, John Gagliardi. He was there forever. And he actually was the winningest coach in, in all the, uh, college football history. And he, would, he banned touchdown celebrations. He goes, now listen here. When you get to the end zone, you set the football down or you hand it to the referee and then come back to the bench. Act like you've been there before. And I just love that. And, Iraq, and one of the movies we always like to talk about in The Office is uh, Miracle with Herb Brooks. Mm-hmm. And one of the points that he makes about the communists, right, the, the Ruskies, they're like, look at them. They're just so methodical. They just move and they just act like they're going to win because they know they're going to win. I'm like, you know what? I love that. I don't love the whole showy stuff. Like, just get out there and do your job and kill it and just have the satisfaction of doing it right. You don't need to go showboating. You know, like, why are you trying to convince? Just do it. Just win. So I like that. It's a Midwestern self-confidence. Midwestern self-confidence is good in some ways, but I think also can bite us a little bit sometimes because you're both of you really, in my experience, are almost too humble sometimes. Like, we would like to get you out in front of people. He might Probably be. I more. don't know about me. No. <laughs> there's a danger in this business, let's face it, where you can get a big ego and think, oh, hey, 500,000 people are listening to me every day. I must be really important. And everything that comes out of my mouth is, you know, let me prophesy today on what's going to happen in politics. I know I have, you know, lots of opinions and I'll have, you know, lots of times that I predict stuff and gets wrong. I remember in the early days, and there's probably a little bit of truth to this, although we now have a couple employees in D.C., we used to celebrate not being a D.C.-based org because we didn't have to worry about all the things that happened in that town. Am I going to get invited to this party and this meeting and who's saying this about me? They probably did talk a lot about us, good or ill, and we never knew, so it didn't really matter because we weren't you know, naturally in that that social environment. Uh, But I do think... There is a particular kind of humility that marks the org, and hopefully it's something that, that is, emanates from us that I think is healthy. It lets, you have to have some humility in politics to begin with, because first of all, you, you typically lose just as often as you win. Right. Um, it's humbling. Right? If, if you win all the time, guess what? You put yourself out of business. <laughs> no, it's what are you winning? <laughs> well, yeah. that's true, as, that's like, true what, as well. well you, you, it's like you've gained nothing, and, right. and I just... I mean, the thing is, like, okay, so 500,000 people, that's, that's kind of cool. But it's not like Anthony Robbins where he's out there and giving speeches and everyone recognizes him. I, Brian and I can go to any airport in the country. No one's going to recognize us. It's like, yeah. So, like, might as well stay humble. I mean, like, at the end of the day, it's kind of neat. We get, some, we get some wins on the board, hopefully advancing what the church is doing. That's great. Well, and, you know, the other thing is you can go and speak to 1,000 people at a big Catholic conference, and then you go home and you're a father and a husband and you have kids and you live the life that everyone else lives. Right. You know, it's not like you go back to your, you know, 
Donald Trump apartment on top of, uh, you know, Fifth Avenue and, and live like a king. No, we're living the life that I, I suspect most people listening to this live, which keeps you humble and on its own. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, to paint the picture here, so you started with two people, you basically up to three, and you're at three to five for many, many years. I think the first time we really started staffing up was 2019, 2020. So, oh, right. and, and slowly we, you started to add. Yeah. It's like one of those things where it's like, you know, they say this and you hear about different businesses as well, overnight success. Like, and you just laugh, <laughs> like, really? Yeah. Well, I remember and people saying your startup businesses, if they could make it to year seven, they were going to make it. And the truth is those early years, there were, it was day by day. And I, and I, I'm, we're at a corporate offsite retreat. I think I might even comment a little bit about this tomorrow. I remember praying, God, either help this to work or make it fail. Cause one or the other, cause right now it's, this is, this in between is, is pretty tough. And, and there was, you know, we went into personal debt. We didn't make payroll many times. Um, you know, there's no healthcare, there's nothing. Not until actually somewhat recently did we even add any of that. Um, but I think some of it was, and just having to do the tenaciousness and then like reinvesting in what we're doing because we really did believe it. I mean, we really did believe that this could be. A- I will say there is a lesson that I learned starting um, as, a, as a young business owner, um, nonprofit, obviously, that are probably people that have built businesses learned, which was when you have that next employee investment or that second or third or fourth person, it seems exceptionally risky because you don't necessarily have all that money and you don't know where the money's gonna come from. You don't know if the donors are gonna support you. You say, I guess we really need the help. We can't do this anymore. And you, you take that leap and all of a sudden, all that value, if you hire the right person, comes back double fold. Right. And then you do it again and then you do it again. You realize one of the reasons I think we started to really blow up and become successful is we started to take risks by investing in people. And like Hugh, Tom, and many others, and, when we did that, it just kept redounding back. Like, wow, we're now doing more stuff, getting our name out there more, more people like it, more people are donating. And it kept going and going to the point where now I'm thinking, oh my gosh, we gotta slow down. <laughs> I used to be able to take a weekend off and not look at anything at work. And, and you did. Well, I believe I you, you took for, a week vacation. I did this said, year. Yep. I occasionally checked in, but I, for the first time, probably since we started, I truly did check out for a couple of days mostly because I was at a national park with no cell service. But no, the truth was, is because we had a competent team that was able to execute and run the organization. Yeah. And that was very comforting and obviously a testament to all of you. But I think, uh, yeah, hire uh, and surround yourself with good people and you're, at least in our experience, I have uh, a, a lot of success follows. I have a question about that. So both of you are obviously very involved in the hiring process. What are the absolute need-to-haves that you need to see in someone when you hire? Because we have a, I can speak to, from my experience, we have a great team here. We have almost no turnover. People, if they leave, they usually get a better offer. Um, we've built a, a really you know, the sh- private sector because it's hard. It's not. <laughs> I mean, no, right. it's true. It's Correct. Like, but but we have a really strong team here, and it's partially because of a lot of the hiring practices. So, what do you need to have in someone when you hire them? I mean, I, I I always like the entrepreneurial spirit, you know, like just the, you know, again, having that kind of creativity and that and you can find that, you know, whoever it is, like if you're doing graphics design, if you're a writer, like you always have to be thinking of, like I said, what's around the corner. That to me is having that insight um, is helpful, like being, being hungry. 
there's another piece here, and people hopefully don't take this the wrong way. Um, there's another member of our team that uses this term, and I love it. He says, we have to have killers. Yeah. And it's, of course, we don't want people that are, want to kill people. But we want people who have this real desire to win souls for Christ, to win for the gospel, to win in politics. You have to have that competitive spirit. Otherwise, you will not work. We're in an age where we need to be apostolic again. So, you know. Absolutely. That's like what Monsignor, Monsignor Shea, Shea, right? Yeah. Fantastic. You have to have zeal and not being afraid of occasionally looking like a zealot. Again, with strategic empathy. <laughs> but we just have a lot of generations of Catholics where this is the way we do things. And you got to break, right. we got to break some molds. Yeah, well, I think what people find refreshing about Catholic vote and the loop is like we do throw punches. Like, for example, with the Dodgers, like the Dodgers is a great example of that. And I'd like to hear more because you obviously were pretty intimate with that. But it felt Dodger like. Dodger Stadium is what like, could possibly, right well, well, what could possibly be more insulting to me as a Catholic living in society than seeing blackface drag nuns? Uh, dancing on a cross and the Dodgers honoring this. Where where are the people that should be standing up to that? So 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 take me to that. How did you put this together? And, and like I think the Dodgers really put us on the map for a lot of people. So so take me to where that started and how that ended up playing out. Oh boy, I re I actually remember where I first read the story because I was looking at my phone on a weekend when I shouldn't have been, uh, and I see the story come across the Loop Channel. On Slack, yeah. so it means no, right. so someone said, water cooler, right? Right. Well, someone's basically saying to Josh and his team, "Hey, make sure this makes it into the loop." And so I see that story, and I immediately send it to another guy on our team who is very into baseball. Uh, and I say, "Hey, get it, let's get a letter to the Dodgers it's on this time, immediately." Right, yeah. 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 And then I immediately said to our development team, "Hey, we're gonna we're, get ready for a huge ask." Uh, meaning you need to go to our donors and ask for a lot of money because we're, we're going to announce a media campaign against this as soon as we can get this letter out to the Dodgers. So we write the letter to the Dodgers. We fire that off. Um, we, we draft a press release. We go to our media team. Um, we announce it. We go to Fox News. Obviously. <laughs> and we won for 48 hours, right? Yeah, and the next three weeks, <laughs> you basically didn't do anything else. I mean... Yeah. It was one thing after the next. We were doing sometimes 10 to 20 interviews a day. I think it was the most Fox News hits we've ever had. I was going downtown Chicago at 4.30 in the morning to appear on Fox and Friends or Fox in the morning and uh, from the studio there because it would record early. But uh, it was fantastic coverage for us. But more importantly, um, I think we sent a message. And you know, not to get into too many of the details, a couple weeks ago, I did sit down with the Dodgers CEO We've agreed to keep the substance of that meeting off the record, but I will say I have a high degree of confidence that message sent. I don't believe it'll happen again. I think we helped him to understand um, how offensive this campaign really was. And I also believe that uh, it wasn't just the Dodgers, that a lot of teams oh, yeah. uh, paid attention that, hey, these Catholics are pretty serious and there is a line. If you do this, you're going to open up a hornet's nest, yeah. right? Yeah. As I, as Which is I told why them. our response mattered. Absolutely. That's why we, people need to understand it. It's yeah. so like, you know, I, I can't imagine, you know, what, the Cleveland Guardians are going to like, mm, maybe we shouldn't touch this, you know? Like, just leave it alone. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of the Bud Light thing where it's like, we don't need to cancel every beer that's doing some weird ad. Like, we just need to make it hurt enough for Bud Light and then no one will do this. Like, no other beer will pick this up. Yeah, by the way, on that subject, because this is something I'm 
Target just announced its earnings this last week. Huge downturn because of pride. What did the CEO do? He said, oh, it was those nasty conservatives that made environment unsafe. Therefore, we're going to change some of our pride displays next year because we don't want these crazy anti-LGBT bigots creating unsafe environments. They blamed us. They blamed us for for their own problem when we all know. Well, if you... Still, if you're just, still boycotting Target, keep it up because it wasn't just the trans stuff, though. Of course, it was the the tuck stuff, like yeah, of it, or not just the, the LGBT. Like it was the it was the targeting of for kids for, tar- and then also that they had that satanic designer satanic. type guy. So yeah, I mean, obviously they're just it's, well, it's classic gaslighting. It's, yeah, it's abuser psychology, right? It's like it's throwing the first punch and then saying, no, you deserved it. You're actually the one that's wrong. I mean. Well, Target's probably feels like they're in a no-win scenario because they can't actually just say, yeah, maybe we should take a step back. You know what? Then, then I disagree on this. That's what they feel. That's what they feel because that's what the high-paid marketing consultants tell them. What they aren't willing to do, so they, they take all the risk at our, uh, avoid all the risk at our expense. They never say, you know what? We're going to actually be the company uh, that's going to chart some common ground here and to say, we understand the public disagrees about this. What did Michael Jordan say? Republicans buy sneakers too. Right. You know what? There is a Republicans buy sneakers too path here. And to not be beholden to the, all these political groups. Even Bob Iger, the CEO of, uh, of Disney, when he came in recently, he came he back. Right? Came back right. He oh, said, yeah. look, we're going to avoid a lot of this politics stuff. And there was a little backlash, but no one's willing to call the bluff. I think I said this in my guest appearance. You know, th- this group isn't as powerful as everyone thinks they are. No one wants to call their bluff. And so what? They raise well, you the know fuss. why though? So it's because they have the entire entertainment and media apparatus, which is right. like a Death Star on their side. And well, so, I would call it a Death Star that's empty on the inside. It's a big echo chamber, so it sounds it really loud. A, well, it can still cause a lot of damage. Is the point though? Maybe. I'm count me as skeptical. Look at what Target Target well, earnings people, did. Cancel culture and stuff like that. They, you know, there's you can you can cause some damage. So just because I do think they're outsized in their influence, that's it's not proportional. I'm not saying, although I'd love it for Target to say, we now want to affirm traditional family, traditional marriage. We believe this is yeah, something that's, that's being lost. That's not going to happen. They don't have to go on the positive. There is some common ground that these companies can find yeah. that don't overtly assault and insult us. Right. I mean, is that too much to ask? No, I think they would be just fine. Right. Uh, gentlemen, uh, I have a lightning round as well. So uh, I, if you could both, just one at a time, answer some questions I have for you in a couple of sentences. So uh, first lightning round question, biggest mistake at Catholic Vote, one you wish you could have back? Well, I mean, I think I think we're both honest about this one, that we probably shouldn't have um, issued a press release on a Saturday in October telling Trump not to, that, that he should quit uh, after the, I mean, it was, it was very infuriating for Catholics who were pro-life to have a candidate make such an embarrassment uh, to everybody, I think, with the inside, edition, uh, inside whatever that was, Access the Hollywood. Access Hollywood tape. Yep. Um, but that's the kind of thing where it's like something like that, the Republican National Committee, you know, they need to issue a release on a Saturday. Like, should, should we have given that another 48 hours and thought through a little bit more Sober response. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty upfront about that. That would have been better. Um, that would be the, I think, the big one. Yeah, I think that's the easy one to remember, although that's in retrospect. At the time, I still thought we were making 
the right decision as a Catholic organization that didn't want to throw our endorsement and support behind a man who, at least for us, we still didn't know how serious he was going to be about the things. Now, in retrospect, Trump got into office and, and delivered in spades in a lot of ways. I mean, he's the one candidate who was more conservative in office than he was on the campaign trail. It's the total opposite. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I, uh, when I see some people have seen me, they're like, oh, you work for Catholic Vote. They do remember. They're like, you guys said no Trump back then, and I'll never forget that. And I mean, they still like Catholic Vote, of course, but it's kind of funny, like something I inherited. Because this, this is before I started writing Catholic Vote, but I appreciate you. I don't even know if you're old enough to vote. Yeah. <laughs> well, another Josh story that he likes to tell since he's the king of political trivia. George W. Bush was once asked, the biggest mistake you ever made. Yes. And he paused. <laughs> it was a presidential uh, primary debate, and he said, "Trading Sammy Sosa." <laughs> you gotta admire the uh, such a good creativity answer. on the spot. So good. So I'll start with you on this one. Biggest fork in the road moment for Catholic Vote, where you felt like you had to choose one of two paths, and you, you picked one or the other. I mean, this may not have been the biggest, but it certainly was one of significance. Two thousand five, uh, George W. Bush nominates Harriet Myers to fill, oh, the, yes. fill the position uh, for the vacant seat left by Sandra Day O'Connor. Um, this was after he had nominated Roberts to become Chief Justice. There's a second seat open, and I'll tell you, in retrospect- The second seat didn't open up right away. Correct, but I'm saying Myers was nominated after Roberts. Roberts was nominated for the Chief Justice position. Let, I mean, I can take you to the history. Sandra Day O'Connor announces she's gonna retire. We're Ren all elated because right. she's, even though she's appointed by Reagan, super liberal, right. pro-abortion. Right. Bush nominates uh, Roberts. Justice Rehnquist dies unexpectedly. So they take Roberts and they place, uh, put, move his nomination over for chief justice. Because, of course, you want to make sure you get the chief position filled. So because that's Connors, the second thing you'd have to appoint. Because if, if he didn't pick Roberts to be the chief justice, he would have had to pick someone else on the court, and that person would have to go through Senate confirmation again. Clarence Thomas would not go through Senate confirmation again. He didn't, right. No way. And so, like, well, what, you know, who else do you pick? Right, so O'Connor's seat's open, and they, high drama, who's it going to be, who's it going to be? There was the final list that people were talking about. Harriet Myers. His, his White House his, counsel. His White House counsel, his friend from Texas. You know, th this was Sandra Day O'Connor all over again, if not worse, right? And what did he say? Oh, trust me. Uh, no. <laughs> right. So if those of us that were had worked on the Roberts confirmation, there was heavy pressure from Republican Party officials, from the White House, that everyone needs to fall in line. She's, she's with us. I remember being on these private calls. No, she's totally pro-life. And she might well have been personally, but she didn't have the kind of judicial chops, the commitment to a, um, you know, respecting the text and, and, uh, of the Constitution. And no record. And no record. So we had to make a decision. Are we going to actually publicly oppose the White House at a time when we're all fighting on the same team? It's one thing not to, like, not, not to be a cheerleader for it, but to actively oppose. That's obviously a... Yeah, I mean, not only did we say we're not going to support it, we started a website called Withdraw Myers that started publicly list all the people that were calling out for her to withdraw and all the people that had not. Uh, we know it made a difference because there was people inside the White House that were so complaining upset. and said, I remember specifically they said, for everything this president has done for you, I can't believe you're doing this. And we said, and the thing is, and the lesson here too, too they, they would say stuff like, we'll never work with you again. You guys are burning bridges. You're an upstart group and you're, you're never gonna have any play in this town ever again. Sure. Right? Yeah, right.
Well, fast forward a month later, she withdraws her nomination. And then the White House, you know, licks her wounds and they nominate Sam Alito, who's awesome. Mm -hmm. And suddenly, hey, we like Sam Alito. I'm like, oh, good. Yeah. Wait a minute. We're back. <laughs> Should I mention the fact that you thought we'd never work with you ever again? <laughs> or we just kind of let that one go? That's a good That's one. humility, you know, politics. Uh, Josh, fork in the road. You got one? Barack Obama gets elected president. A lot of people are like, how, you know, how do we... What kind of what do we do at this moment? You know, it it is it was a historic moment for a, a former slave country to have a black man elected president, right? And so we just thought like what everyone was negative on him and certainly deserved it. I think his eight years in office were horrible for the country. But like uh, when you're first talking about that moment where there was in this country, a lot of people were were really kind of excited. Like here's an opportunity. Like, wow, we maybe we're getting rid of some of our sins. I mean, obviously Gettysburg does most of that, right? But like it was kind of a, a proud moment for a lot of people in this country because that that's kind of a new thing. Like would you have expected France to do something like this? Maybe not. So we thought, well, what can we do in this moment? Like we're not certainly going to endorse this guy because everything he said in his campaign sounds horrendous. And it turned out to be true. But that doesn't mean we have to spike the football in his face necessarily. We can take this moment and say, hey, now here is, you know, so we did this video, like, um, here was a man abandoned by his father, raised by a single mother, and he would become the first black president of the States. Like, and we did it with- With a tagline, important to add. Life, imagine the potential. Because it starts out with like this, you know, heartbeat, ultrasound, you know, and I love some of the criticism we get from people. Well. Like, um, there were ultrasounds like that in 1963. Yeah, we know, bro. <laughs> like, we get it. Like, we're not idiots, okay? <laughs> we're helping to paint a picture here, okay? But it, it really did, like, I knew it was effective when the Washington Post was like, front page was like, like, can you believe what this organization is doing? It's essentially, it was a news story, but it's essentially what they're getting at. But they're like, what? And there was some other conservatives. I remember Brent Pozell was like, wow, like you guys are on a different way. Can, like, can you, you, can you briefly explain, so what, what was the twist of the video that caught so much controversy? Well, I mean, just the fact that we would use like his story to say, hey, abortion is a bad thing. Like, you know. Right. We would celebrate the life of Barack Obama for a pro-life video. Now, Richard Nixon, when he was president and they, you know, came into the White House, you know, he's got, he was the guy who did all the tapes and stuff like that. And Nixon, I think, had a lot of good things going, but he was certainly not pro-life. And like he was thinking to himself, like, what would be a reason why abortion might be a good thing? And he's like, oh, gosh, mixed racial couple. Like that's the, that was the mentality of the time for people, you know, in the 70s of that age. Like, oh, that might make sense because there's such a stigma. Right. And so it was a big deal for a woman in 1964 to give birth to a, a black baby, a white woman, and to raise that baby. Like that was a big deal. And like that was exactly the reason why people in that time would have been like, if abortion were legal, that would be an option you should really consider. Yeah. It's like, no, actually, abortion isn't the answer. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting context. I didn't even know that. Um, OK, so this is a little future facing. But where do you see Catholic vote in 10 years? Well, I mean, I just, I think, you know, we've touched on certain things that we've done, you know, like trying to, you know, win the imagination in the hearts of American people, you know, like Catholics, obviously. Um, I'd like to, I'd like to hopefully, you know, take that to, you know, keep building on that. I mean, we have a daily email that's been successful. We have a podcast I think people are resonating well with. But are there other things, you know, and we, you mentioned earlier the lifestyle section, like, is there... You know, we, we've, most of what we've done so far has been, 
a general audience. Now, are there ways that we can take certain segments of the and, and try to you know hone that message and, and reach th th that audience better? Like, that might make more sense, you know, like Catholic vote women or whatever. Yeah, like, that, I, kinda, I, you know, there's well, options. It kind of reminds me of um, so we just talked to Carrie Grass. We just had her on. Go check out that episode. But she was talking about how. Um, like things that women like are kind of being invaded by crazy left-wing ideologues. So why not create, you know, magazines or create soap operas that like are actually beautiful, done by people that actually care about you instead of like gross feminism, whatever, like reaching people where they're at. Well, I was and talking so, about some of this the other day too. It's like, I think in too many ways, like conservatives or traditionalists or whatever, just say, complain about it. Things and I and my mantra has always been: don't just complain about the media, be the media, do it. And so there's this there's a new magazine like Evie, if I'm yeah. even pronouncing it right, and it was a it's a bunch of women who are on the conservative side of things. Maybe they're not as conservative as you are or I am or whatever, but they just said let's do a fashion magazine. We actually like fashion and, and let's talk about it. Let you know we like to see clothes. Like go for it. I have no interest. Obviously, I'm a dad of six kids. I I've been off the fashion train but, for a long time. But fashion time, but can be beautiful. Yes, yeah, it go can for be it. beautiful and edifying. And you can this, yeah. and in the process of doing that, you can start maybe bring things up. But it's not it's not going to be if it's a catechism, the magazine's not going to work. So you kind of bring up things in a in a in a soft way, and then you, yeah, you can kind of talk about things that matter. And mostly, it's just it's not going to be horrible that you're doing things. So yeah. why why can't there be other things like that, like, you know, why can't it be for other aspects, not just fashion, but like, you know, for men, like fishing, hunting, I'm not, a, I'm a typer, I'm a writer, I'm not a, on any of that stuff, but go for it, you know. So I'll answer the question two different ways. I would say one of the things we, people say, you need an elevator pitch for your organization. You know, what's that, the five seconds or less that so you can tell people what you do. And we used to use the line, although less so now, because maybe it sounds more risky, but we used to say, Catholic vote is for Catholic voters what the NRA is for gun owners. And what does that mean? It means politics, education, advocacy, we're their voice. Um, but there's some significance to that because when it comes to politics, the NRA is pretty big dog. Uh, they are very effective. They, they shape our political discourse. They shape elections. In fact, I would argue that if the NRA chooses to oppose a candidate, especially in several states, that candidate has no chance. Death, right. And I would like to think that because the Catholic vote is so large and of significance, uh, in 10 years, we can flex significant political muscle where at least, ideally, a candidate from either party, um, we'll see where the parties head, but that uh, you have to get the Catholic vote imprimatur uh, to succeed, at least in a national race, or maybe even some statewide races. Um, it's, always, it's always easier to be the, to, to do a veto. So like what you mentioned with the NRA saying, this guy is too far, you gotta stop, you can't do it, we can't support that. That's easier to pull off than to get the blessing, but that would be a great goal. Though. The second piece of the answer would be what Josh said, and he's used this line, I think he stole it from somewhere, but I don't know if I'll give him credit. Uh, don't complain about the media, be the media. There is no question one of the most successful things we've done is the loop. Uh, com compliments to Josh and his team. And, and without disclosing too much here, we are actively working on plans for some significant new enhancements to the loop. Um, and uh, so much so that, you know, your little morning email will just be the beginning. So a little tease there. And if we're successful with that, I think we'll be able to go to not from 500,000 to a million 
to maybe hopefully multiple millions of people where we are truly exercising the kind of influence that I think a Catholic lay organization ought to be. And uh, I think in doing so, we'll have a lot of say in what happens both in our church and in the country. Agreed. So Brian, we're about to go to our very secret retreat in an undisclosed location. And I know that you've probably prepared some inspirational material. Uh, would you like to end us here with a little bit of inspiration for people watching this have definitely consumed some Catholic Vote Media in one way or another, either the emails or the loop. So these are people that we know pretty well. Do you have anything for people before we... All right. So I know this is bad. I'm pulling out my phone here. But you know what? The most inspirational thing that I want to do is read the theme of our retreat. And we picked uh, this quote. It was from uh, St. John Paul II from World Youth Day. And I forget which year it was. This is, it's actually kind of long. Everyone already, I got the complaints because it was too long. (laughs) I liked it. But the theme is this, and it's a quote. It is Jesus you seek when you dream of happiness. He is waiting for you and nothing else you find satisfies you. He is the beauty to which you are so attracted. It is he who provokes you with that thirst for fullness that will not let you settle for compromise. It is he who urges you to shed the masks of a false life. It is he who reads in your hearts your most genuine choices, the choices that others try to stifle. And then the second little part here, it is Jesus who stirs in you the desire to do something great with your lives, the will to follow an ideal, the refusal to allow yourselves to be grounded down by mediocrity, the courage to commit yourselves humbly and patiently to improving yourselves in society, making the world more human and more fraternal. Can't say anything more inspiring than that. I, can you top that? You got it? I'm not going to try to upstate him. He's good. Absolutely not. So it's generally only a saint, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good, good source. Thank you for joining. Uh, as, as people know, we sign off with uh, St. Thomas More, St. Fidelis, Our Lady of Guadalupe. Pray for us. Pray for us. Um, take care, everyone. We'll see you on the next one.